everyone. Please stand and sing with us. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. Say 
have searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise and treasures of faith Are never enough Then you came along And put me back together
1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion in all God's people said. Amen. Amen. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, good morning. We're glad that you're here to worship with us. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, you may return to your seats and be seated. Move that up a little bit. Again, let me welcome you to Northside. We are thankful that you are here to worship with us today. If this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time in a long time, welcome. If this is your first time, we would appreciate if you would let us know. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan, um, or uh, there's a connection card out in the lobby. You could take a couple minutes and fill uh, that out. So we are glad that you are here with us. Our purpose and our mission is to exalt Jesus Christ in all that we do, right? We want to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus. And the reality is we can do that right here. We have to do that right here, but we also have opportunities uh, to go beyond uh, our community into other communities and into other places in the world and make a difference. And so uh, let me just take a moment before we do praying the scripture uh, on behalf of our mission team that went to Guatemala to thank you um, for your prayers 
uh, for your support. Here we go. Um, for the shout out that we got on the airplane on the way home. Thank you, Miss Angela Smitherman, for that shout out. Uh, um, the NBC Live Scent team, and so we're thankful uh, for that. So you're going to hear more about our trip next week. We'll have a video that we'll show you next Sunday. You'll hear from those uh, that went. But let me just give you just a, a quick overview. You guys gave. You gave sacrificially. Brian talked about this even to us. Justin, our missionary who has worked with Costas and has done over 400 homes. When you show up at the work site, you begin to think there's no way we can build a home in three days. Um, but you can and you do. And there is no adequate words. We will do our best through picture, video, sharing stories of, of how God worked. There is no way to adequately describe the feeling on Thursday afternoon, right after lunch, of standing with the family and their extended family and our mission team as we presented them a Bible, as we presented them the keys to the house, as we hung, hung up a plaque, uh, um, there's just no words to describe the feeling of seeing a family who had no home to call their own now have a home that is their own. Everyone in this room, you have a home of your own, or you have at some point. Maybe you rent it, but it's still your home that you can go to, and it's yours, and they have never had that. And, uh, and we found out the, the mom is pregnant, um, and so soon she'll have another child, and so we, we gave them a home. Um, and that was incredible. And though you did not go and physically do that, we could not have physically gone and done that if you had not given. So thank you very much for doing that. You have forever changed a life. And, and next week, I'll talk more in my sermon about how I think even beyond that, we made a difference in the kingdom of God. Um, we had a lot of fun while we were there. We got to play soccer one night with uh, Southwest Christian Church, which is not south of us, but north of us. They had sent a mission team, and they were right there, and so we got to have uh, a night of soccer, and let me just say, we broke up into four teams, and the old guys from Northside, we represented. Didn't we, old guys? Yeah, so be proud. You'll probably see some video of that, but it was an incredible trip, uh, a lot of fun, and we made a significant difference uh, in the life of a family. And the most exciting thing is that we got to work with a pastor, Pastor Jorge, and got to see his church. And so there's a church right there that will continue to minister to these families long after we're gone. And so we're thankful for that. We'll put a verse of scripture on the screen this morning. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Let's spend a moment praying through that scripture, and then we'll continue to worship together. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So just think through that verse, meditate on that verse for a moment, offer up a prayer to the Lord, however the Lord might lead you to pray through that verse, and then I will pray for us, and then we will sing Rock of Ages, followed by the solid rock. So go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, this morning I stand here 
as a pastor who is so humbled and thankful to serve Northside Baptist Church, to serve the people, the body of Christ here. Lord, as we think about this verse, Lord, I saw this verse lived out this week among the 18 members of our team that got to go. There was a unity of mind. There was, there was sympathy towards one another. There was brotherly love, a tender heart. And Father, we were humble. And we worked hard and we, we gave sacrificially through whether it was financially or of our time, maybe a week's of vacation. We went and, and we gave. And Father, we saw you work. And Lord, we pray that as Pastor Gary preaches the word this morning, Lord, that your word would go forth with great boldness. Lord, that you would give him great boldness and confidence in, in Christ and in the word to proclaim that word. And Lord, that you, would, that you would change us as men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ. That this verse, verse 8, and the other verses that he will work through, Father, that these verses would be true of us. Lord, that we can say right now that we have unity of mind here in Northside. That we have brotherly love, a tender heart. Oh, Lord, in an age, in a world where there is so much anger and animosity and bitterness, Lord, humble us. Give us a tender heart. Lord, give us a heart for the lost, a heart for the hurting, a heart for the broken, a heart for those who were, Lord, in, in poverty and have nothing in no way of really of ever having a, having a home on their own. Lord, that's the reality that we just experienced in Guatemala. Had we not gone, Lord, this family would not have had a home. They financially could not have done it themselves. And they have a home, Lord, because we, we went, because you called us to go. And now, Father, through this home, we have proclaimed the love of Christ so loudly the Lord, we pray Edgar and his wife and his children and the extended family, Lord, will be reminded of your love for them. That we, God, you've opened a door for Pastor Jorge to begin to minister even more to this, to this family who was already part of the church, but maybe not as involved. That they would become more involved, that they would begin to grow in their faith and their understanding and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, be with us as we continue to worship you as we are reminded that you are the rock upon which we stand. We don't stand this morning on, on shifting sand or sinking sand, but we, we stand firmly upon the rock of Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, the solid rock. So, Father, whatever we're going through, help us to be reminded of who you are, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that we would stand upon you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.
thank you for this opportunity to come to your house this morning and worship you. Just thank you for your many blessings. Just ask that you would just take these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom. In your heavenly and gracious name, amen.
All right, all of our children's church kiddos, you can make your way. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Please stand as we read from verse 8 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I've titled my sermon, Live the Good Life. Um, So when we think Old Testament, and we think about a man that lived a good life, people may say David, may say Solomon. Solomon had incredible wealth. He pursued the good life in all the wrong ways. In all the wrong places. He had houses, he had chariots, he had horses. He had woman, he had land, he had power, he had fame, he had everything that people today would say, you know what, he's got a good life. That's what it contains. But was he content? Did he love life? Did he really see good days? Did he really experience living to the fullest? I mean, listen to the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. He says, so I hated life. Golden era, king of Israel and Judah. That's his response to his life. He goes on to say in that verse, Ecclesiastes 2.17, I hated life because everything is futility and striving after wind. He had it all. If he had been living in our day, he would have had houses, villas, ranches, fleets of cars, huge bank accounts, lots of investments, And all the things that people pursue today. Yet he said, I hated life. As Christians, the church, we should love life. 
We should enjoy its goodness day by day. This is a legacy God has granted you to love life, to pursue it. But how does it become a reality? How do you take what God has given you and make a good go at it? How am I, we, to love life and see good days? Well, I believe Peter tells us here, and he gives us some very straightforward, direct, practical insight into how to love life and see good days. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 is a much-needed reminder that the blessed life is closer to the Christian than we often think. It's right there. Just for context sakes, these verses are a transitional link. Pastor Aaron has just been taking us through Christian submission. Us and the government, wives and husbands. Husbands are to love their wives. But this is a link to what will come. Suffering. How should a Christian engage when they are suffering? So the themes of submission and suffering acknowledge that following Jesus does not guarantee an easy life. But it is the narrow gate and the hard way that leads to life. Christians obtain blessings, friends, by Living, living their life by following Jesus. Two things. The blessed life is a life of Christian conduct and a life of Christian conviction. And that's what Peter lays out for us. How you live is what you believe. First thing, the blessing of Christian conduct. Pastor Aaron just read this verse for us, verse 8. And he gets to this part in verse 8. He says, finally, in some versions, it says to sum it all up. And at this stage, he was, he was speaking to specific groups. He was speaking to wives. He was speaking to husbands. And now he says here, finally, all of you, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. These are five Christian virtues that the Christian should practice. Every day, Peter fleshes out honorable conduct by instructing from chapter uh, 3 all the way through. Instructing citizens, submit to government. Servants, submit to your masters. Wives, submit to husbands. And after addressing these groups, Peter concludes the sections by saying in verses 8, Christians, we should conduct ourselves towards each other. How do you do that? Verse 9, he goes on to say, how should we conduct ourselves towards unbelievers? So let's go with verse 8. We are to live in harmony. In harmony. The first one is unity of mind. Now, the way... The way some theologians, some pastors have etched this out, is they link the first virtue with the last, second with the fourth, and the heartbeat of this is love, is love. 
Unity of mind is like-mindedness. Is like-mindedness. It's, it's a call to unity, not uniformity. We will not always agree on everything. But we should be united in doctrine, purpose, and mission. Second, there is sympathy. This is the English word for suffering with. But this word has great intensity, great, greater intimacy with it. It is to share the feelings of another. So we read in Romans 12, 15, Paul wrote, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So, Christian, in joy and in sorrow, we are to sympathize with one another. Not just on the days we choose to. The one who sympathizes doesn't just say, I know how you feel. We ought to sympathize. We ought to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Thirdly, like the heartbeat I said, brotherly love. The church should be more than a family. It should be, a lot of people have called this a brotherhood. Sister groups are about to get going. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And this is it. This is that powerful text. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And fourth, there is a tender heart. This is a visceral description of how we ought to, ought to love. We ought to be tender towards each other. This is that seed of emotions. In the Gospels, it describes Jesus as being moved with compassion. So when you see something going on in the church, in the community, are you, are you moved to compassion? Jesus was stirred up in his inmost being by seeing the needs around him. Compassion compelled him to action. And like Jesus, we should have a tender heart. It is the opposite, friend, of having a hard heart. We are very, very prone in our day and age to be hard-hearted. We like to hold on to what we believe grudgingly, and just go with it. However, in Ephesians chapter 4, 32, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then he goes on to say, humble mind, which I connect with that first one, unity of mind. Unity of mind requires a humble mind. Unity of, unity of mind requires a humble mind, not considering yourself better than others. Humility is not thinking negatively about yourself. It is not thinking about yourself at all. It is being self-forgetful. That puts others ahead of yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, we, we tend to stop there. But no, let's carry on. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it takes a humble mind to offer help without thinking that you're better than. But it also takes a humble mind to receive help without thinking that you are less than. So every Christian that may be listening to this or sitting right here is to have this attitude, is to have these virtues practiced day by day. No matter how difficult the circumstances in, is in which you live, we are to be Christ-like in our living. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be sympathetic. We are to be sensitive to the pain of people without joy. And I know you might be thinking, well, this is hard. I don't really like people all that much. <laughs> but you know what? This is not just me saying this. This is God's word. We are to be sacrificial in serving one another. To love those within, yes, and out. We are to bear the spirit of humility. This is the attitude Peter is calling his Christians, which he wrote to, to do. So he says, live in harmony. Verse 8. Verse 9, he goes on to say, live in holiness. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter goes on in the next few verses to describe a holy life, a holy life, by how you respond when you are wronged. How do you respond when you are wronged? Do you get even? Do you give what you got? Or do you leave it up to the Lord? Do you get even man's way or do you get even God's way? Verse 9 we just read. Often people link this to the, to the golden rule. is to do unto others as you would have them do to you. And we say, yes, do that. But some people today, even Christians, will say, no. That's, a, that's an old rule. No, we need to... Do unto others as they do to you. But you see, friends, revenge, retribution, retaliation are not Christian options. You are not to go by your natural inclination. We must not repay evil for evil. So let's just be clear. People are going to be mean to you. They are going to do bad, malicious, harmful things to you. But as Christians, we are not to respond in kind. A Puritan wrote this, to return good for evil is godlike. To return good for good is manlike. To return evil for evil is beast-like. To return evil for good is devil-like. Who are you? Who are you? How do you respond? To repay evil for evil accomplishes nothing. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth will only leave you blind and toothless. It is not the Christian thing to do. 
But that's a natural inclination we have. We just want to go at it. Remember how Christ responded to those who reviled him. Peter does. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And you might be sitting here and you may be thinking, I'm a Christian, I do this. But do you? Do you entrust yourself to him who judges justly? Do you get even your way, your plan, your style, or do you get even God's way? Well, verse 9 goes on to say, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You see, when you suffer evil or reviling, or some versions say insults, Peter is saying, do not do, do not respond to what comes naturally. Do not give what you get. But at the same time, he doesn't say do nothing. Christianity is not a passive faith that you are to engage in. You ought to do the supernatural. You ought to do the supernatural. In response to evil and reviling, what does he say? Bless. Whoa. It's kind of neither here nor there. What does it mean to bless someone? Well, the, the word is where we get our word eulogy from. It's to speak well of. Bless those who wickedly come at you, who maliciously come at you. Bless those with kind words with intercessory prayers, with gospel appeal. This is radical retaliation. Why do I say that's how you ought to do, what you ought to do? Well, Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Why? Why should we be doing this? Why should we bless well, Peter goes on to say, for to this, in verse 9, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. That called, that is that word for effectual call God has placed on your life. He called you out of, the, out of the grave into his wonderful light. And he has called you for a distinct purpose. In the grand scheme of those 18 members that went to Guatemala a year ago, I promise you, None of them had any idea that they would be flying to do what they did this week. Yet in the providence and provision and purposes of God, money was raised, flights were flown, materials were bought, houses were built, or a house was built. Very interesting house. I've seen pictures. Camaraderie was formed. Friendships, God has called you, has called me in our salvation for a particular purpose. So we, you and me, are saved for a particular reason. And some of you might come, well, 
Gary, what am I called to do? Well, I'm like, Forrest Gump's mother said it. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You just don't. I don't know what the Lord has planned for you right now. I was telling my girls 20 years ago, I would have never imagined I would be here. Never. For better or for worse, 20 years ago, Facebook was launched. Nobody would have ever thought the ramifications of that. Nobody would have ever considered the purposes God had planned for me when I met my wife. Never imagined being a dad to girls. But God in his grace has purposed that. And please pray for me in the future. <laughs> we are called to bless. It is a blessing in the life, yes, to come. Peter has been saying that in chapters 1 and 2. We have, a, we have an inheritance that will not spoil or fade. And yes, that's the blessing as a Christian you will obtain. But you are called to bless here and now. So how you treat others matters. Taking matters into your own hands with your own psychological reasons, you will get what you get. Put it in God's hands. What does the scriptures say? You will be blessed. You will be blessed. Christian conduct, that's verses 8 through 9, verses 10 through 12, the blessing of Christian conviction. Now, what Peter does is he takes a psalm, Psalm 34, and he helps us root, root our conduct by specific convictions. And so what he's taken, like many teachers do, they go for giants in the faith. So Peter does as he takes David. And he goes, Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, and he connects those two things. Conduct must be rooted in Christian conviction. Now, I read before, I'm going to change uh, the version, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. And friends, Christian, it doesn't have to be that way for you. God has not called you to a life like that. Verse 10 says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, and then he unpacks it for us. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 25 says, whoever loves his life loses it. You see, that's a warning about putting anything ahead of Christ. Loving life is life in Christ, not without him. This is not putting Jesus at the back seat. It is not putting him in the passenger seat. It is not even, which we try and do, putting him in the trunk. Jesus, I've got the wheel. To love life, yes, is to see good days, quality of life. But how do we define what a good life is? Well, in verses 10 through 12, he, he, he actually describes it. 
The good life is godly conversation, godly speech, and godly conduct. What you say and what you do. So verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Good speech, good speech. James chapter one, verse 26 says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And the scriptures are clear, you are not a follower of Jesus if you cannot control your tongue. If you do not bridle it, Keeping your tongue, that word keep, is a forceful description in the Greek. It means to cease and desist, to stop. It is spiritual warfare against sinful words. We cannot, Christian, do that on our own. You cannot will into existence that you will have godly speech. So we need help. So we pray with the psalmist in Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So we need God's help. And yes, I mean God himself. But the church, we need help. We need help to know when to be quiet. We also need God's help to keep our tongues from evil. Proverbs, by the way, throws a nice scratching overhead verse in, in Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. It says, uh, do not answer a fool according to its folly. And if you go to the very next verse, what does it say? Answer a fool according to its folly. It needs wisdom and grace that God gives you to understand when it is time to speak and when it is time to be quiet. We must wage war against evil words and evil actions. Ours, you and me, we're prone to do that. And that verse, verse 10, where it says, keep your lips from speaking deceit. That word deceit is very specific. Deceit is subversive speech. If you've ever done a word study on deceit, this particular this is speaking about when you use your words to seek to destroy or undermine anyone with your words. Whether it is face to face or online or even, even as you're going by them and they didn't hear you, but you just say that. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 says, this is speaking about Jesus. <clears throat> he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. So friends, we ought to follow Jesus in our conduct and in our speech by keeping our lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11, godly conduct. Godly conduct involves doing right before the Lord towards others. Verse 11 says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace 
and pursue it. Saving faith, a Christian who is saved by grace, is a repentant sinner. A sinner that is daily evaluating his life, daily needing to turn from his sins, daily needing to put his faith in Jesus in moments when they know that they have gone too far. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of ways. So we must turn away from evil, yes, negative, but towards the positive. We must do good. We must do good. We are, we are to, at times, we are to fight, and at times we are to flee. What do I mean by that? We should fight the evil around us. Yes, the evil within us. And we should flee the evil within us. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, Do not use, Christian, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. The Lord has saved me, now I can do as I please. No, he goes on to say, do not, do not use your freedom. So, with a holy aversion, practice, we need to, daily, every day, we need to practice evasive measures. Yes, I use this in a very military way, you need to practice evasive measures necessary to turn away from evil. Every day. It is a daily, daily objective for a Christians. So the negative, turn away from evil. But you must do good. It is about seeking it out. And I'm not talking about godliness is not this religious to-do list. Spiritual development to do good to others doesn't just happen, doesn't just happen by, okay, today I did these many good things and I did this and weighing it up to see where you come out. No, that means, my wife loves gardening, that means going into your daily garden, your life and pulling those weeds. And when I say pulling them, I'm not just doing it like I do, where you go in and you just pick up quickly and move along, pulling weeds. No, pulling weeds at its very root, planting flowers, planting grass so that they can grow. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So do right toward others. Do right toward others. Let him, verse 11 says, seek peace and pursue it. Peace is more, peace is more than the absence of hostility. So if you're away from a hostile area and you think that that's peace, it's more than that. Peace is a positive, productive relationship that is the result of your spiritual well-being. Peace, friends, as a Christian, is oftentimes elusive. If you think that you've got it one minute, you go into work, you've woken up on the right side of bed, you've had that cup of coffee, 
you've had that biscuit, and you go to work, and the very first person behind the counter does something, says something, that piece is gone. <laughs> that piece is gone. And what Peter is telling us is, no, you need to have evasive measures in place. You need to pursue it. It only took one chapter to devolve from eating forbidden fruit to the premeditated murder of one's brother. We must be like Christ, not like Cain. To be like Jesus, we need to seek peace and pursue it. And peace doesn't happen automatically. You're saying, well, I'm a Christian. It's just going to happen. No, no. You need to feed it. By God's grace, you need to read God's word. You need to pray. You need to have brothers and sisters to come around you. We must seek it. Go with me quickly. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. It reads, 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 through 21. And this is what I'm saying, pursuing peace. We love, 1 John chapter 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, hates his sister, hates his family member, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Worldly people, consumed with themselves, will look for trouble, will bring it up, will pursue it. God has called you, Christian, to pursue peace. We need to diligently seek it, When it slips away, and it will, we need to pursue it like a hunter pursues its prey. You need to be about this. And it is a difficult pursuit, but it is worth it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Edmund Clowney, um, a great preacher, he said this about the good life. Christians are free from vindictiveness. Christians are free from, from vindictiveness because they trust God's justice. But they are free for blessing because they know God's goodness. Verses 10 and 11 are about what the godly ought to do. If you're a Christian, you're sitting here and you're asking yourself, what is it that I should do? You should do good. You should pursue it. You should pursue peace. Verses 12 through 14 is what God does. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those 
who do evil. Last week, Pastor Aaron specifically spoke about the conduct that people have towards others will have an effect on your prayer life. Will have an effect on your prayer life. The Lord watches over those who trust and obey in him. Verse 12 says, and we've read it, his ears are attentive to your prayers. So the Lord's posture toward the righteous is specific. God is omniscient. He sees everything, but his eyes are on the righteous. His ears are attentive. And this is a picture of how our heavenly father and leans over to hear the faintest cry of his children day by day. You see, nothing is too small for God to care about. And you might think that. I don't have big problems. Well, pray. Thank the Lord for that. But on the other hand, nothing is too big for God to handle. Nothing is too big for God to handle. So it is an insult to the Lord that we are a prayerless people. If you're a Christian, understand that the Lord is very near to you. His eyes, his ears, his face is upon you. But, but, unbeliever, if you're sitting here and you have not, and if, and if you have not submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, this scripture is very specific at the end of verse 12. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is, a, this is not word for word as Psalm 34, verse 16 goes. In fact, that verse says, it goes off to say, David says, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. About that, those that the Lord's against. Because in the, in the context of when Peter was writing this, Christ had come. Christ had come, had died the death that we could never die, lived a life we could never live. And if you believe in him, you have peace with God. And so I'd submit to you, if you're not a believer, is to cry out to him. There is nothing too big that you need to get out of the way for you to submit to the Lord right now. And so for those of you they may be thinking, well, what am I to do? Well, every day to run to the cross. Every day to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day to trust God's eyes, ears, and face. Because the good life is this. The good life is the hard life of trusting Christ. Hard life of trusting Christ. So do you want to love life? Well, it's the hard life of trusting Christ. Do you want to see good days? It's the hard life of trusting Christ. Have the attitudes that we read in verses 8. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And it takes more than a right attitude, a will to do these things. You need the spirit to work within you. And that is a daily work, calling out to him to help you 
do what he has commanded you to do. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, very, very convinced in my own mind, Lord, that I'm so far off from this, this attitude. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would be inclined to your word, that we would do what you say, that you would receive all the glory, that we would realize, Lord, that we need to have our identity in you, that, Lord, you would supply, that, Lord, you would challenge us according to our deepest need. For those that do not know you, Lord, I pray that they would, that they would repent and that they would seek forgiveness. And, Lord, if they, that they would believe, Lord. And when that happens, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would come, that they would come willingly. And that it wouldn't just be that day that reflects their faith, but Lord, ongoing. And whatever comes from your good and gracious hand, Lord, it cannot disappoint us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would love life. And Lord, we pray that we would see good days because we bring these very attitudes that you call us to before your throne room of grace. And we ask you, Lord, guide us, protect us. So help us now as we sing these, this song, as we close off our service. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You please stand. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our shame. Was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. Oh, Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper. grace is deeper still and you alone can rescue you alone can save you alone can lift us from the grave you came down to find us let us out of death to you alone belongs the i
following Christ and if you thought following Christ was easy you probably quickly realize it's not but it's worth it following Christ and living the good life that he has called us uh, to live and so I pray that as you heard God's word preach you just don't hear it and then leave but that you hear it meditate upon it and allow the spirit of God to put it deep within your heart that it begins to change and transform your life so Thank you to Pastor Gary PG for uh, faithfully and rightly dividing God's word. Let me go over some announcements. Um, they're in the bulletin. We have our quarterly church conference tonight at 715. So we have all our normal activities. We resume that. And then our church conference is at 715. I want to encourage you to come for that. We have our barbecue meal uh, next Sunday. So after church, we'll have the barbecue meal to uh, fundraise for our youth. So you want to be part of that. Um, March 9th, our Live Scent Community Outreach, right? We Live Scent this week in Guatemala. In a couple of weeks, we're going to Live Scent right here in our backyard. But we need you to sign up for that because it'll help us, especially if you need child care. Please, on your way out, turn to the left, go to the connection board, and sign up. Don't forget, just right now in your head, sign up, sign up. Just keep telling yourself to sign up so you don't forget. Sign up, and if you need child care, let us know. And we need people to volunteer to stay here and love on the kids, watch the kids so we can go out and live since. So please sign up for that. We got one more week of our Bible study this Wednesday, and then that'll wrap up this session of our men's and women's Bible study. Two other things. VBS is going to be here before you know it. And so it's time to start signing up for VBS. Uh, so please see Rachel uh, after the service if you want to go ahead and sign up. If you got a favorite place you want to serve, then sign up quickly so you can get that spot. And one other thing, the Treasures Out of Trauma class that was going to begin tonight after talking uh, some more with uh, Tiffany, she right now is going to postpone that. 
This is something that we hope to do again in the future, um, but that class is going to be postponed for right now. Um, but just continue to pray that. There are so many people who are working through so many difficult, hard things, and, and we need the body of Christ to come around them and to love on them and, and help them work through those things. But that is something we hope to offer in the future. All right, if you will stand, we're going to end our service by quoting from... The Great Commission, where we remind you each and every week to live sent, or as our pilot said yesterday, live sent. But when you see that word live sent, you could read live or live. So I understand why he misspoke. But we're going to live sent, and we do that every week by reminding ourselves of our calling to go make disciples. So say this with you, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with you, so go live sent.